Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Oh, hello, <laughs> Tennis Podcast listeners. The reason we're all laughing is because we're talking about my editing um, moment last night when I decided to have breakfast before going to bed. Um, <laughs> fortunately, tonight is a very different night because a team has won a Davis Cup finals tie in straight sets, meaning we're recording well before midnight and we don't really know what to do with ourselves. However, here we well, are. Speak for yourself, David. Not for Matt. <laughs> what time is it? My clock says 9.48. Is that correct? No, that was about three hours ago. Oh, crikey. So what time is it there, Matt? It's half past midnight half past for midnight. Matt. Oh. Okay, well, I'll be having breakfast again <laughs> soon. But so anyway. No point in wasting a good intro, though. Yeah, but for sounding good to me, Rafael Nadal and um, Roberto Bautista-Gut have combined to win the Davis Cup finals final which doesn't sound quite right, but apparently it's correct, uh, or the World Championship match, as I also read it called uh, earlier today. Um, and they've lifted the uh, the trophy. Well, oh, that can get in the bin <laughs> along with clutch. <laughs> they lifted the... Well, they didn't lift the trophy because the trophy is the size of a truck, um, but they lifted the, the little silver bit that goes on top of the rest of the which, trophy. Which I have um, a story about that. Oh, yeah. So everyone go. here calls calls the Davis Cup the salad bowl trophy because Do yeah they? in all the newspapers the kind of second you know when they when they don't want to repeat themselves by saying the davis cup again they call it the salad bowl and apparently what salad bowl in spanish in saladera oh. and always sounds better when he says <laughs> it in spanish doesn't it and apparently it's it's some kind of urban well not urban davis cup legend myth that Dwight Davis, who started the Davis Cup, needed a trophy. And he took his grandmother's salad bowl to to use as the trophy. I believe that has been discarded, but it's quite a nice story. And it does look a bit like a salad bowl on the top of the Davis Cup. But how do you account for the wedding cake bit underneath it? Yeah, pass. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. More research so, yeah, than Matt Roberts I, to do in 2020. I have, I have half a story about, um, about the Davis Cup to be, to be continued. 
And so, folks, if if we are successfully crowdfunded for 2020, these are the sort of things we'll be getting Matt Roberts to do, given that we give him a job again. Um, right, we better talk about what actually happened. Before we do, just to mark your card on, on the rest of what's coming up in this final daily edition of the Tennis Podcast for 2020. 19 we have gone to town or rather matt roberts has we're going to be hearing from rafa Nadal in the press conference straight afterwards we're going to be hearing from gerard piquet who gave a, a press conference this morning about the future of the davis cup um we're going to hear matt giving a grilling to the itf chief david haggerty you're going to be hearing that here on the tennis podcast and you're also going to be hearing from a, a good friend of ours one of our favorite colleagues christopher clary from the new york times matt's been speaking to him and it's just so fascinating to get the view of somebody who's been covering davis cup since the 80s and as there isn't really a, a voice in tennis i think that i i look forward to the view of more than him because he's going to have thought of something that i know i haven't thought of and uh, and that was the case again in in matt's conversation with him so we'll have that coming up but first folks what a what a performance from those two players first of all when when it was revealed that Felix Auger-Aliassime was going to be drafted in for his first appearance on a tennis court in six and a half weeks i read to be playing against a guy who was mourning the passing of his father from three days ago um, and has, has been obviously ever since, and he was going to be the single selection. I, I filled up. I mean, mm. I, I was really, I was, I felt really emotional about just the, the, the mere prospect of that. I, admittedly, I, I haven't had an awful lot of sleep the last couple of days, and things probably are getting to me a bit more than they normally would, but I, I can't really imagine how he did that Bautista Gert uh, just to to even commit to it and yet at the same time I can kind of see why he did why he did it it's a bit like when people say it's best to keep busy sometimes I I, I don't know I mean everybody's situation is different isn't it and there is no one way to to grieve but the way he did what he did handled himself won the match I mean he beat Felix Oshihani Asim for goodness sake and then the scenes of him celebrating and being with his teammates, uh, I found it incredibly moving. Difficult to find the words, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I just thought it was one of the most extraordinary things I've seen on a tennis court, to be, to be honest. Um, I think there's, a, there's such a danger with a, with a player like Bautista Agu. We, we will very often use words about his game maybe as a bit robotic or a bit mechanical in a way because that you know his tennis that the pure bones of his tennis is a bit like that but you know he is he is a a a human a person going through just the most difficult emotions and for him to be able to deal with everything that he's been through and channel it into that performance I thought was one of the just one of the bravest things that I've seen in a in a long time. It was really, really moving, um, and that and everyone in the stadium knew his story. You could tell there was such warmth, such love towards him, and you know there was there was absolutely no sense that anyone was was forcing him to do this. I think it was very much his own decision. I, I can imagine, I don't know the team conversations that would have happened, but I can imagine they were all saying, look, you don't have to play Roberto, but 
you almost get the sense that he just wanted to, as you said, to kind of deal with it in his own way. And, you know, he, he's already had a lot of amazing tennis achievements this year, Bautista Agu. I think, you know, he's beaten Djokovic a couple of times, made a Wimbledon semi-final, been at, you know, he was a bit of a star at the Australian Open, cracked the top 10. But what he did today was was bigger than tennis. It was It, it was really moving. There was a slight hint of hint of irony to it because, um, and I feel like there was a, another incident of this this year. But you know, obviously he was a participant, a key participant in in that match that Andy Murray played mm. at the Australian Open, where well, now we now know foolishly Andy Murray was sort of essentially retired after it, and we all sort of lamented the fact that at the time that Bautista Agut had been handed this role as, as the villain in it, you know, just a, a MacGuffin in the emotional torrent story that was Andy Murray at the time. And of course, what Roberto Bautista Agut has gone through this week is, is very different and and I'm not comparing it to the, you know, physical strife of of Andy Murray, but it all, we we talked at the time about it feeling completely unjust that it was Roberto Bautista Agut that had to take on that role because he's this, he's not just a MacGuffin or a robot or a, you know, a, a participant. He's, he's a lot more than that and um, sort of deserves his own story. Um, and... You know, it's not it's it's not the story he would have wanted, but my goodness me, was it um, a torrent of emotion on his side of the court today? Um, and, and also at the end of it, he he, as well as being emotional, he said, "I would wouldn't want to be anywhere mm. else right now than doing what I'm doing." And you know, it that was great to see. Um, so. And what a performance. What a performance he put in. Straight sets. He lived with this young lad all the way through that first set and then he just took over. Fantastic performance. And then that set the platform for Nadal. Very, very tough for Felix auger Eliassime today. I really yeah. mm. I, I really felt for him. You know, it was it was Bautista Agut's role against Murray in Australia m- multiplied by a thousand, mm. if not more. Yeah. And yeah, um, true. And, and when they put Felix Auger-Aliassime in the team this morning, or this afternoon, I was thinking perhaps perhaps this is going to be his moment because I still feel like for all, for all we know about Auger-Aliassime and we've seen his rise, he hasn't really had a standout moment yet. He hasn't done what Shapovalov did beating Nadal in Montreal or what Kyrgios did beating Nadal at Wimbledon, that kind of thing. He hasn't had that one standout result yet now it will probably it it will come I'm sure but I wondered whether it would it would be today but then as soon as the match kind of started you and it got underway realized this this was not an ordinary match not an ordinary situation it was it was difficult for for him I think as well given given the background and and yeah so he's still waiting for that really but all credit to to Bautista Agu. I mean, I I didn't think I could have more respect for him as as both a athlete, tennis player, also as a person. He's been he's been one of the 
um, most supportive tennis players of LGBT rights on tour. He's he's a good guy, and I think I think he he's been through a hell of a lot because he also lost his uh, his his mother, I think, in 2016. So you know, you just you just really feel for him on a on a day like this, and it and it's I'm I, I am pleased for him that he got the win, and he did seem to get you know some joy out of it. And actually, it was noticeable that Nadal made a beeline for mm. him as soon as he got off the floor, having won, and just just picked him up off his feet. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah, uh, Nadal has. I think all the team did, but Nadal, I think, has a real, really human quality where it comes to connecting with people, both in the stands and on a personal basis with with his friends. He sort of takes over in order to to make people feel comfortable and and he kind of knows what to do in a, in a given situation I feel with people um and and that's what he did there and his performance today he was he was pushed by Shapovalov in the second set in the first set I think probably Shapovalov was a was a little tight um and he couldn't he couldn't really put a finger on Nadal um early break that was kind of it second set I think Nadal got a bit tight, but Shapovalov just did what we all know he's capable of doing. And he, and he, I hesitate to say should have won the set because I said that yesterday about the second set of the doubles. The fact is Nadal's winning these mm. sets. So <laughs> if he should have lost them, he would have lost them. He rips them out of the grasp of players in truth. And that's what he did again here. Yeah, it was a it was a slightly strange atmosphere in the stadium. I thought for the Nadal match, uh, perhaps I was just comparing it to the last two Nadal matches that I'd seen, where Spain had had been one nil down, and it was all on Nadal to get them back in the tie. So there was some jeopardy. Whereas today, it kind of felt like people were just expecting Nadal to win, and this was going to be a bit of a coronation. And it, that was that was the case in the first set, and it was. It was up to Shapovalov to change the mood in the stadium, and to his to his immense credit, he did that. Started swinging, started getting into Nadal's service games, and really rocked him. Um, the mood, yeah, the mood just began to change. People got a bit more anxious, and yet every time there was a big point, Nadal raised his game and saved his best for those moments because I think he was a little bit short on energy understandably this was his eighth match in six days he was starting to drop the ball a bit short and you know it just wasn't quite the force on his ground strokes that there had been a week and he he needed to get through that second set I think because otherwise it could have become really complicated but yeah I mean see yesterday's podcast for praise about Nadal I think everything we said you know stands today as well he's just he is extraordinary, and what he has done this week is is up there with, I think, some of his best achievements. I really do. The way he has played just relentlessly, just just made it such a mission for him, for himself. Let's um, let's hear from him talking after winning that Davis Cup title. It's a victory that I'm very happy because I played against uh, one of the toughest opponents possible, and after. Ugh, a very, very long and tough week for me physically and mentally too no? because uh, the energy uh, that I try to put in every single moment on the on the whole event have been all the things, all all what I have inside me. And uh, honestly, it's 
the perfect end of the season for all of us. No, uh, we know how difficult it is to win this trophy, and we know how difficult it's going to be to keep winning in the in the future. And uh, we knew that we need to convert this opportunity. No, and uh, we fought, we fight very hard. And uh, what Roberto did uh, today is out of this planet, in my opinion. Uh, so, but as I said the other day, our team is great. I don't see a lot of teams that all five players take part on the competition. And everybody of us uh, played uh, a match at least, and that makes uh, this competition even more special because everybody of our team participate in the victory. So, Rafael Nadal, I feel underlining, confirming just how how deep he has to dig, and. I remember that was my immediate reaction after the US Open final when he withstood the Medvedev comeback, despite having kind of got tight himself. He's a human being; he gets nervous, and yet he will he will stare that down and find a way. And I I don't really know how he how he does that. I mean, that's something for certain kinds of people. There aren't that many out there. I compare it to Olympians like Chris Hoy and Steve Redgrave, mm. who who will find a level of pain that they're pr- prepared to take in order to keep on going and get over the line. Um, and only the very best sports people have that. I mean, I think there are people obviously in other walks of life who do it all the time, you know, withstand incredible stress and whether it be physical or mental or emotional and within the normally comfy, cozy surroundings of sport, Nadal, goes places that are very much not comfy and cosy in order to win. Yeah, in the words of Mary Carrillo earlier today, she said the best part of Nadal is his great beating heart, the only body part that will never betray him. Oh, That's it, isn't it? I've had all day to try and think of a way to say that in my own words that that would be... (laughs) as good or a bit better and I don't have it in me so I've just read that out word for word well when you when we we've we've got Mary Carrillo on tap (laughs) these days it's amazing so so we tap into it believe me um yeah it was it was just just fantastic um and it just I mean look in the end we're going to hear now in a minute from from Gerard Piquet David Haggerty and and then we'll talk to Chris Clary but I mean they got what they wanted, didn't they? They got they they have got this Davis Cup format change off to a cracking start because it was held in Spain. Spain won. Nadal was there. Nadal was the the winning moment. It, it couldn't really have gone better for them in terms of script writing. No, I agree with that. I think it's been a great success. I have enjoyed it immensely. I, but. And perhaps we should hear from David Haggerty before we come on to this. I do, I do worry about complacency a bit. I don't think it helps anyone to to de- de- deny the problems, the 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 faults with it. Um, I think year two is going to be incredibly crucial because you can forgive the faults um, with it being essentially an experimental year, um, but next year the forgiveness threshold will be far far lower um yeah this paper's over the cracks of mm. it doesn't it really the fact that we've had this incredible end and there look there have been many other wonderful moments that i think 
make this event and this format one that I hope succeeds in the long run because I think that it, they've got something. They have got something here mm. that, that mm. was in, we've had an incredible week of sport. Um, it just has so much further to go. Um, and they've got to they've got to iron out so many things here. Um, now the man who's in charge of it all ultimately is Gerard Piquet because his company, his marketing company, Comp Cosmos, have bought the Davis Cup. They own it. They run it. Uh, obviously, in in conjunction with the ITF, but basically they've bought the rights to it. And this this guy is is a, a world renowned and world class footballer for for Barcelona. He's very much still in the height of his career. I mean, it's it's quite a thing that he's doing to be juggling these two things while he's still an active athlete. Um, and he came into press today, spoke for half an hour um, in Spanish and English alongside David Haggerty. Matt was there recording the press conference. We, we've taken a couple of the answers here that just, just give you a bit of an insight into what Gerard Piquet his his outlook is particularly in terms of moving forward because he wants things to change next year. I think that in the future, uh, as and I think that we we said it, uh, ITF and Cosmos, we are really open to sit down with the ATP and try to arrive to a deal uh, to me, to make a unique competition, a super event of two weeks, and try to find the best spot in the calendar. Uh, I think that during this week, uh, Novak and Rafa, two, uh, number one and number two in the world right now, have expressed that uh, they want the same. They want just one event, and if it's possible, to put it in September of, of two weeks. And this is something that uh, for us, I mean, since day one, we expressed that we want to, to arrive to this deal. I think it's the best for tennis. It makes no sense to have right now two different competitions. Um, that are very similar and this is the way uh, we're going. Uh, we are very happy that uh, in the next uh, few months I think we will start talking again with the ATP and, and I hope in the next few months we can, we can announce uh, something. At the moment Cosmos are not investing in the Fed Cup. Is, is that something that is of interest to you? Yeah, for sure. And, and since day one I think that we showed in- interest to the ITF uh, what we said to them is obviously uh, we wanted to go step by step and, and Davis Cup on itself, it was a big, big project. We didn't want to to try to do too much because then you don't, th- you don't do things right. And at the end of the day, IT have decided to go to, uh, for the next three years to Budapest. Yeah. So uh, for us now, we are fully focused on trying to... Uh, year by year make this competition and this event even better and bigger and in three years let's see where we are so he wants a september date that's going to be interesting uh, he wants two weeks um he certainly spoke there in answer to russell fuller's question uh, in in the longer term of, of wanting to to involve fed cup or uh, and have a mixed event just just generally, what what do you think of what you've heard from Gerard Piquet? I mean, I think you've met him as well, Catherine, haven't you? I think he's very impressive, really impressive. And I think I really think his love of and care for tennis is very genuine. Um, I mean, obviously, he's a he's a businessman and, and has financial incentives that go along with that. With that but I do believe he cares about tennis. Um I think there are I think there are questions to be asked about 
things he says. You know, the I find the 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 party line from <clears throat> from PK and from from Haggerty will hear about um, about Fed Cup. The question that that Russell posed there to PK and Matt, you posed exactly the same question to Haggerty. Um, you know, it's money where your mouth is, isn't it? At the end of the day, they haven't invested in Fed Cup, and I think everybody knows that if they had wanted to that would have been greeted with open arms. So Fed Cup has been neglected in favour of Davis Cup. Those are the facts. So I don't just accept everything he says simply because I, I find him personable and impressive. Um, but I do find him personable and impressive. And, um, you know, I, I, with... With some hesitations, I am. I think I'm willing to embrace him as a as a factor in in tennis. You know, he's he's investing in the sport. I'd love it if he were investing in Fed Cup too, and yeah, in a lot of other things. But I think, by and large, he is a force for good in tennis. Certainly, I think from what we've seen so far, mm. um, and I guess time will tell in the in the long run, including how financially viable all mm. this ends up being, whether it whether it is going to be sustainable in the long run. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Now, mention that Matt spoke to David Haggerty. Um, that was shortly after that press conference. And Matt starts by asking him how he feels the week has gone. The finals, it's been a very successful week. I think we have a, a great foundation to build on for future years. Uh, we've had uh, over 130 spectators, fans that have that have come. The top players are here. Uh, we have uh, 87 players from around the world. Been some fantastic matches, some great environments. I think uh, last night watching uh, Spain play uh, in it was a fantastic against Great Britain was a fantastic match, great atmosphere. But we've had that all throughout the week in the group stages so 
having the top players here, having the media coverage around the world, everyone knows this week that it's the Davis Cup Finals, where in previous years it might just have been two nations that were aware of it and the rest of the world perhaps not. Are there any aspects you think you've got wrong? I don't think there's anything that we see that we've gotten wrong. I think there are a number of areas that we can improve. And I think that that's what we'll be doing. We'll be doing evaluations, talking to the players, talking to their entourage, talking to media, uh, fans to see what we can do better and and how we can improve it. Scheduling is always a a challenge and that's an area that we'll be looking at. Uh, Is it another court? Is it starting at different times? Is it, you know, who knows what it will be, but we'll have a thorough evaluation that we'll be going through over the next few weeks uh, and in order to make um, the 2020 Davis Cup Finals even better. Just on some of the other things that you perhaps could improve on, you've mentioned the scheduling there. Are there any other specific areas? I think um, I'm thinking maybe of the TV deals with our listeners. We've had a lot in, in the US talking about how it's just been difficult to watch it. Um, I'm also talking about things like the Davis Cup app, which didn't really work. Do you see them as just teething problems that you can iron out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think these are a couple of the areas that we can make improvements. I mean, with the app and the website... I don't think we expected as much traffic as we had, and we thought we had the capacity, but it was slow. There were some uh, programming things we had to change midway through. So absolutely, the app and the website uh, is is something that we're looking at. And again, broadcast uh, around the world. I think that this was year one. We had some broadcasters who weren't as um, interested, didn't understand what it would be. Now, with what we've had here and the success that we've had, I think we'll be looking at those broadcast deals and our partners around the world to be able to make sure it can be seen in every country uh, in the way that we want it to be. So I think those are a couple of areas. There might be others. I mean, that's uh, why we want to do the evaluation and and hear what else could be better uh, so we can make those improvements. In terms of the atmosphere, obviously Davis Cup is renowned for its amazing atmospheres and passionate fans. That has been the case in quite a lot of the matches, but it's also been true that certainly earlier on in the week, the stadiums were not particularly full it didn't necessarily always feel like davis cup in there how can you improve on that going forward well i think that uh, one of the things that we're doing is working with the nations because the the fans and the supporters coming from those nations are what bring that atmosphere i mean tonight we'll see with canada and uh, you know a couple hundred followers that they have they will make a lot of noise and and that's what the players want and we've had some players who have said that if they're um, if not as many fans have traveled they've said you know we need our fans to be here we're at a disadvantage when we play another country that has their fans so i think those are areas that we'll look at and again um, i have to remember that we start on a monday morning at 11 o'clock and you know if you're at any tennis event around the world at 11 o'clock uh, in in early in the week you know, you don't always have as much of a crowd, but what we do know is Madrid loves tennis. So I think there's better marketing, some things that we can do, and also working with the countries because it's important that the nations travel and their fans come. And because of the success this week, we've already had nations writing to us saying, can we get tickets uh, early now for next year? How do we get them? Because we want more of our fans to travel. So I think 2020 will show great improvements in these areas. 
So just to clarify, you think that some of the money can go to the nations, the federations, in terms of trying to subsidise some travel, the cost of tickets for fans, so that large support groups can can travel to Madrid next year? Well, the the Davis Cup uh, finals uh, generates significant revenue that goes back to the nations in the form of uh, development grants. um, And uh, so I think the nations have the money to be able to encourage more fans. I think everyone was uh, looking to see what the first year would be like. And and now that everyone sees, for instance, um, Great Britain uh, purchased uh, 800 tickets yesterday. Uh, Andy uh, sent something out on on Twitter and a lot of people responded and they came. It's the same sort of thing that we could be doing everywhere, but doing it further in advance to make sure that the the fans are able to come. So uh, absolutely, those will be important changes. I just wanted to pick up on a few thoughts that have occurred to me throughout the week and some things that have come up with um, with the competition in terms of particularly in terms of its credibility i 'm thinking um, firstly just about the issue with the walkover that Canada gave in the doubles, and then Australia did something similar in the doubles. Um, do you think that knocked the credibility of this event? It was quite it was quite fortunate that it didn't end up having an impact perhaps and how confident can you be that you will have changed the rules next year so that something like that can't happen again? Well, I, I think um, 119 years says there's a little bit of credibility to the competition. Uh, so I don't agree that this in any way damages the uh, the credibility. We have rules in place. Uh, the rules were not broken. Uh, but that means we can look at the rules and see if they're modifications. And again, this is one of the areas that's already been discussed. I'm sure there'll be a change in, in how we do that because, um, you know, Davis Cup is important and we want to make sure that the best teams are the teams that get through um, it. What happened had no impact on the results, as you said. So, again, uh, I think it's a, a learning, and each year this happens. I mean, you see it. it uh, it's why the rules of tennis change uh, each year to adapt to some new challenge that, that might come forward. And what about wild cards? Why do you have them? The slogan for this tournament has been the World Cup of, of Tennis. In other sports, in World Cups, the host nation would get a wild card but not others so can you explain what the purpose of those wild cards is and does it not seem a bit unfair? Uh, Actually I think the wild cards give us the ability as you say for the host nation so in the Fed Cup competition in Budapest Hungary has uh, the ability to to have a a wild card. Uh, Spain if they hadn't qualified would have had the the opportunity to have a wild card as well since they've qualified by being in the finals it gives us the opportunity to look at other teams and make some decisions based on uh, what the steering committee believes is the right thing to do uh, and and that's what we've done I think there's no surprise in having a nation like France the number one ranked uh, team in, in the Davis Cup competition have a wild card into the finals and Serbia one of the top teams with uh, you know top player in the world uh, as well so again I think we've we've had a lot of positive feedback on on those two choices and how long is the intention to hold it in in Spain I know that it's confirmed in Madrid for next year what is the situation looking like beyond that and do you think that that potentially is a problem for the competition if it stays in Spain long term. We've seen Spain having obviously a lot more support here than other teams. Again, taking the example of a World Cup, World Cups move around every 
every edition they're in a different place um your thoughts on that well i think that uh, for now the uh, intention is we're here in madrid for two years uh, we wanted to finish this year's edition we'll start a bid process to talk about um you know future years and uh, and where we could be we've had interest from uh, many other cities um, and many other regions of of the world. So I think that we'll go through that process and, and we'll see um, exactly what we do and, and where we go. But it is our intention to be in a city for a couple of years and then move somewhere else so that we move it around like a, like a World Cup. I think a lot of people will be interested in the way that the ITF works with Cosmos on this um, who is making the decisions who is running this event basically and how does that all work in comparison to how it used to work so it's a, it's a partnership of the ITF and Cosmos working together uh, we have licensed uh, various rights to Cosmos such as the sponsorship uh, the broadcast rights but when it comes to what happens on the court the operational technical aspects that's the ITF leading on those sorts of decisions where the commercial decisions are more led by by Cosmos but we have a steering committee made up of Gerard and I and, and two other, one ITF and one Cosmos person, that discuss all the high-level uh, issues that, that might arise if they're not handled at the local uh, operating level uh, between the ITF and, and uh, Cosmos. And uh, again, we've had a good relationship. Uh, we don't always agree on, on everything, but I think we come to a, a decision at the end, and uh, so that's kind of how, how it works. And how involved is Gerard Piquet? Is he a decision maker or is he more of a figurehead? No, uh, Gerard is very, uh, very involved. I mean, uh, as, as am I, but I think usually uh, we're involved on the strategic elements and uh, or decisions that um, are complex and being made is when we get most involved. We have strong teams, um, Javier Alonso from Cosmos and, and Kelly Fairweather from the ITF spend a lot of time working together and then the teams that each uh, group has work together on a constant basis. Just looking ahead to the future, Novak Djokovic has said this week, and I think thoughts echoed by Rafael Nadal as well, that he doesn't think that the ATP Cup and the Davis Cup can coexist, in his words. Um, what is the ITF's position on that? Do you think that the best thing for tennis would be a merge of those two competitions? So, uh, yeah, the ITF uh, and ATP have had a, a series of meetings over the years. There's been recent leadership change at, at the ATP, uh, so we will re-engage. Uh, we had an election. I was re-elected, so now that our leadership on both sides is defined, I think we sit down and, and look at what's best for tennis. I don't know what that means and what the outcome will be, um, but the great thing was both Novak and, and Rob of being here and playing in the Davis Cup and being committed to it. Uh, you know, we want to do what's right for the calendar and for the players, so we'll involve them uh, and look forward to collaboration with the ATP, and, and we'll see what that might lead to. Do you anticipate those talks starting right in the new year? Yes, I, I would imagine that we'll have meetings in uh, uh, in Melbourne, if not if not before uh, you know before we get there. Just finally, it does seem that the women have been quite left out of this whole team competition. Obviously, I know the the ICF have reformed the Fed Cup and we'll see the first edition of that in, in Budapest next year. But thinking long term, do you think that a combined mixed team event is the best thing for tennis? And is that your kind of ultimate ambition to involve them? Because 
from my point of view that you know you've talked about a kind of festival of tennis the the grand slams feel like festivals of tennis when everyone is involved together and so is that your intention to to work towards that in the future well i think that uh, i do agree that when we have men and women together it uh, it is a fantastic event and um, we talked about doing that uh, you know about 2 years ago of having a mixed competition uh, the issue was calendar, you know, so I think we still need to work through with both. But what we wanted to do was make sure for Fed Cup that we immediately got to uh, a equal prize money position as quickly as we could, which is for next year, which is very important. We also have our Hopman Cup mixed competition uh, that we'll be reintroducing in 2021. Uh, so we're going through a bid process because we know that when eight nations come together, one man, one woman playing singles, then playing mixed doubles, it's exciting. So that's something that we'll be bringing back. And then as a longer term goal, I think having both Davis Cup and Fed Cup together at the right time in the calendar would be would be fantastic. So, so we can expect to see Hopman Cup back on the calendar in 2021? Uh, yes, you can. Cosmos haven't in, invested in the new Fed Cup, so what is their position on um, women's tennis? Because it, it kind of feels like you two are obviously working together on this, but if Cosmos are less interested in the women's tennis, how is that? How is that going to work in the future? Well, uh, actually, Cosmos has always been interested in in the women's competition. I think that together we decided that for the first edition for three years in Budapest, the that we would be working on that from an ITF perspective, while they work on Davis Cup, which is a big project, as you know. So I think down the road there's possibilities that we bring it all together and then have this mixed competition, uh, Davis Cup and Fed Cup together down the road. But I think it's going to take us a little bit of time to get there, uh, especially as you look at schedules and, and working with two tours uh, and the ITF and Cosmos in order to do that. Okay, thank you very much for your time, David. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, Matt, I think you asked him just about every question we've ever wanted to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> so great job with that interview. I think you did a fantastic job with it. Um, it's it's interesting. There were some questions in there that I, I didn't feel were wholly satisfactory in the in the answers that that you got uh, i i personally don't understand the wild card mm. thing i mean look the bottom line is the reason they've got wild cards is to make sure they get a couple of countries in that they really need to get in in case they don't qualify and whilst i understand that that and part of me thinks that that's just not the not the competition uh, i know we have wild cards in tennis as a rule we have wild cards in grand slam so Maybe you could make the argument that it's just in line with that. It it doesn't feel right to me in this instance. Um, there was also the one, and I, I really do struggle with it, with uh, the the spending time more than a year in in the same country as a host nation. Because as we've seen, I know Rafael Nadal is Superman, but he was also backed by 12,500 people creating an incredible atmosphere. Um, and that's great. We want that. But should the same country have that more than one year? I, I don't think so. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, it was just really good to, 
to be able to have a chance to sit down though with David Haggerty. I'm glad that he he was available to speak to you. You got to put some very straightforward questions to him, and um, and well, our listeners can make up their own minds as to as to what they've heard. Yeah, there was a there was a very brief suggestion that we might get to speak to PK, but then he had to go off and see the king. <laughs> you got dumped for the king. Yeah, had to um, had to play second fiddle to the king. <laughs> Who looked really right, tense, well, by the way, during the King Philippe, Felipe, 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 yeah, Felipe. Oh, he, right, yeah, well. not a good poker face, Felipe. Okay, Gerard, we'll try not to be too put out by it all. <laughs> um, after calling you personable and all that. Not so sure now. Anyway, I'll try and get over that. And uh, let's hear from Chris Clary, because Matt has been speaking to the tennis correspondent of the New York Times. Chris, we're sitting here in the dark, actually, in a, in a dark room. But for the first time this week, I think I'm recording podcast before about 1am in the morning. Uh, we've had some pretty late nights here, haven't we? How are you? I'm good. I think the darkness is appropriate. This is, I feel like I, uh, I wrote this the other day. I feel like I should be hanging from my feet when I sleep here. It's been... Uh, Definitely for vampires only. <laughs> it's been a lot of late nights. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are your general impressions of uh, of the week so far? Yeah, they're really mixed, um, but they're mixed in kind of a strong way. I would say the ingredients are are, are sort of strong ingredients. In one way, the uh, the ends of the matches and some of the uh, the scenes have been very powerful, as powerful as anything you would see in tennis. Frankly, I've been covering. Davis Cup since the late 80s. So I've seen a lot of different scenes over the years, and there's been some real you know, genuine, powerful emotion from Serbia, from Spain, from Rafa, different people, the Canadians. Uh, the negative is that there's been an awful lot of lost moments, I think, too, and lost content, particularly in the front end of this with the group um, round-robin phase. You know, really zero atmosphere in some matches and some great matchups. U.S.-Canada, for example, at this stage of the game, you know, with it's a North American tennis rivalry waiting to happen. Mm. You put that in either one of our countries at this point, especially in Canada, would have been a big deal for two or three days. And here it was just lost, virtually nothing. So that, that to me has to be fixed. So that's the thing that, that troubles me. And I also feel like, you know, I'm joking and you are too about the darkness, but I mean, it's not a joke. I mean, I was in there at 4.04 a.m. watching the end of this match the other night um, with the U.S., and uh, that just can't happen. It's it's good for no one, is it? Fans, players, media. It's just you can't run a tournament like that sustainably long term. It's just that, that that has to be changed. Would you say that's perhaps the main thing that they need to get right next year is the scheduling? Well, I think that's probably in some ways, if they don't want to change the format in a more significant way, that's job one for mm-hmm. sure. But you know, there's a lot of other jobs too. I mean, there's a lot to do here. I don't, I don't think it's in any way a, a failure. But it's, it's certainly, uh, at best, a qualified success, I would say. And we'll see how the scene is you know, as we look at this thing after it's all over. But I, my feeling is that it's uh, you know, really uh, there's a lot of work to do. And I wasn't terribly impressed by how they came out of the gate, considering they had a fair amount of time to plan this. Mm. And the ITF's been involved as well uh, with Cosmos, who had the rights. So I, I think that's disappointing. But they did make some good adjustments during the week, and they showed some you know, nimble behavior there. So we'll see. 
yeah, they uh, they pushed the start times forward, didn't they, in the morning and in the afternoon, albeit only half an hour. We were getting to bed at 2 rather than 2.30, but uh, it showed a willingness to make some changes and a recognition that there were some things that they were getting wrong. Um, I've kind of felt that maybe it was, it's been more of a success than a lot of the doubters thought it would be, but it hasn't been as much as a success as the organisers, the creators had hoped it would be. Would you say that's a kind of fair assessment? Yeah, and I think a lot will depend on what the numbers really truly are in terms of the uh, television coverage around the world. I know in the US it was basically non-existent. I saw some of the numbers for France, which is a Davis Cup country. Obviously, they were resistors <laughs> to this yeah. concept in a, lot, in a lot of ways. Not all the players, to be fair, but the majority of the, the players there were. Um, and the numbers for the television in France were very poor. So I think we'll see how that goes. That, that'll give them an idea. But in the U.S., Davis Cup was already in serious decline, and this will make it non-existent if they keep it like this. And that's really significant because part of the change was to try and improve the situation and the and the prestige around Davis Cup and get more people interested in it. So can you just talk a little bit about what is the TV situation in, in the U.S.? Why haven't people been, been able to watch it? Well, in U.S. tennis, as you know, is a niche sport. It's not a mainstream sport except for maybe U.S. Open time and and then arguably Wimbledon still. But um, basically Tennis Channel, which is dedicated to the sport year-round, has carved out a, a decent niche on Davis Cup in the last decade or so, and they've been able to at least become an appointment viewing for people who are interested in that and not just focus on the U.S., kind of give it a, a global view. And uh, they didn't get the rights to this. From what I heard, the rights fee that uh, Cosmos was asking for was quite high. Not a great week in the U.S. or great timing. Obviously, a lot of the matches are happening uh, in, during the night in the U.S. window. So Tennis Channel didn't didn't bite, didn't go for it. They ended up giving them to uh, Fox Sports 2, which is one of the subsidiary channels of Fox Sports. A lot of households don't get that in the U.S. There's no identification with tennis in that channel. And they only took the U.S. matches mm-hmm. and the final on Sunday. So if you had you know, great matches like the semis were on Saturday. No way to watch that on any kind of television, cable, terrestrial. Only way to do it was through streaming, and the streaming site was Rakuten Sports mm-hmm. through the sponsorship, and I can guarantee you that less than 1% of Americans know what Rakuten Sports <laughs> is. So really not ideal in any way. Not that we're the market you need to make your choices on. Davis Cup in the U.S. is not a great brand these days, but certainly not a way to build it. Mm. And... Just being here, you've obviously covered a lot of Davis Cup in, in your career. Has it felt like Davis Cup to you? Have they got it right I think, conceptually? I think, I think the scenes of player emotion, the intensity of, of the tennis that's being played, it is similar to Davis Cup in that, in that approach. And, I, and I, do, I do feel the, uh, the sense of playing for your flag and that uh, distinctive quality is still there. However... Um, the fact that it's so condensed, I think, robs us of some of its long-form power. Um, and the fact that there is so much going on at the same time makes it difficult. I mean, I, you can argue you know, on the old format, if you're playing uh, first-round matches all over the world at the same time, and, of course, you're conflicting with each other as well. But it felt like with the three days of those formats, you had a way to kind of absorb what was happening move on to the next day, who's playing doubles, move on to the final day and the reverse singles. This is all happening in a hurry. Hmm. So it almost feels like it's too rushed. People like me who have been following Davis Cup for so long and remember those 
epic, epic matches. Um, so it's, but maybe, you know, I'm 54 years old. And so my sense of what's entertainment and where the power is, is perhaps different than somebody that they're targeting. And I can, I can definitely say that, you know, the emotions were, were powerful at the end. And that's really the most important thing. And also it's great to see, I think, that the doubles turned out to be so important this week. Although it could be very unimportant mm. if you end up with matches that are 2-0 after the singles. There's a trade-off with the doubles, isn't there? Sometimes it's going to be a dead rubber in this new format, and sometimes it's going to be the most important match. Personally, we've been talking about that quite a lot on the podcast this week. We're all kind of in favour of it. We think we think it actually ends up giving a little bit more prominence to the doubles, even though sometimes you do get a dead rubbers, but five of the last six ties, as we as we talked just before the final, have gone to the deciding doubles and it it really has felt significant both seeing uh specialist doubles teams but also some singles guys stepping in and and trying to try their hand at doubles yeah and that's the advantage to this one week bring everybody together format because you're going to lose a few doubles matches that aren't going to happen mm. hopefully not with a six love six love <laughs> result and a walkover which was you know not very sporting and, and not really right for the format they'll fix that i think but because you have so many matches yeah you're going to lose some doubles but you're going to inevitably have quite a few. And if you can get people like Rafa and Novak playing in those matches um, or, you know, people like Medvedev down the road, if they come back and play again, that's great. That really elevates doubles. And I think, you know, best of five for doubles is a lot. Mm. Best of three is great. Yeah. And uh, I think, I think it really, really worked. Other years they keep this format, it won't work as well, but it will always work to some degree. And so we've talked about some of the issues, the, you know, the scheduling, we haven't talked about necessarily the kind of live scores at the website, which just wasn't really prepared for the traffic. And do you think those are the kind of teething problems that they can solve? Or are you more worried about kind of their competence at running this event long term? How do you see it playing out next year? Jury's out on that. Um, As you said before, I think we were reassured by their eagerness and attempt to try to fix things along the way, but they certainly didn't get it all right by the end. And frankly, you know, for an organization to start off a, a major event like this with the uh, technology in such a poor state is really inexcusable, mm. I think. Uh, I mean, really, you're not talking about a, a startup here entirely. You have carryover from the ITF and previous Davis Cups, and either they didn't use the expertise they had appropriately, they tried to outsource it, or they tried to, you know, reinvent the wheel, but uh, the reinvention didn't work very well. So, yeah, for sure the confidence is a bit shaken. And... Um, I think uh, they need to really have a great second edition to consolidate this thing. And can this event work in its current guise without Spain doing so well and without Rafa Nadal carrying it? Because we have, it has felt to me like the really special moments have been when Spain have been playing on that main court. Nadal's been leading. If Spain had gone out in the groups, do you think we would be having a more negative spin on this competition? Are they relying on, on the host nation doing well in these tournaments? I don't know how much pre-sale they had for the final weekend, but I th- I, my sus- suspicion is yes, it would be you know, much more downbeat sort of thing. But I would say for me the most powerful thing that I've seen was the uh, the end of the Serbia match when they lost to Russia, and that was you know, apart from Spain. Mm-hmm. But you could argue that was basically uh, Davis Cup nostalgia at work as opposed to Davis Cup reality in the moment uh, at work because the Serbs have all the memories of winning in 2010, mm-hmm. all the team spirit that they built. They were running on... They Davis, were Davis Cup fumes of the past and all that 
not so much on what this event itself was creating. The Canadians, it's a different story. The Canadians, it's really all about right here, mm -hmm. right now. Um, but in terms of Spain, hey, I think it's great that you have a home team. Not that Spain deserved it. They didn't earn it, but they got it because of the way the negotiations went. But it, in no way do I subscribe to the idea that it's a good idea to have this thing in Madrid beyond next year. They're talking about adding a third year already. Mm -hmm. That's, to me, uh, the wrong method and the wrong approach. You can't have Spain be the permanent home team for the Davis Cup. It doesn't work. Is there any kind of argument that if they were to hold it here an extra year, they can kind of grow a bit more momentum behind it and really get people knowing what it is before they move it on? Do you think one more year will be enough? The Davis Cup has got to spread the wealth around on the home court advantage to be relevant and to be uh, to have integrity. That's just part of the, part of the deal. Um, Spain obviously has a huge home court advantage. They're not playing on clay, which would be their best mm -hmm. surface, but there's still a huge advantage. You can feel it. Rafa was well aware. Critical moments, he tapped into it you know, very, very uh, intentionally, and it worked. And uh, Davis Cup records, you look back at the record book for 100-plus years, the home court advantage is huge. So mm -hmm. maybe in this very rare case of starting this up again in a new way, you could perhaps justify a third year. But my concern would be that would be consolidating it to the point where it wants to stay longer. And then and I just don't see the point of calling it Davis Cup or pretending it's going to be a, a neutral event where each nation has an equal chance. Mm. Do you have any sense of where it might go beyond uh, after Spain? Well, I give uh, Gerard Piquet credit um, in that he keeps talking about the desire to consolidate this with the ATP. Mm. Um, I, I interviewed Piquet just once at length. And I was surprised. I kind of went in thinking he was going to give me a, a PR line of thinking and kind of uh, answer my questions like a good central defender, you know, flicking the <laughs> ball away out of trouble. But no, he actually answered him pretty openly. And he was asked today about Federer and conceded that he was a little bit mystified by the fact that there hadn't been more communication about Labor Cup. And, and I'm sure there's another side to that story, knowing Roger and his agent, Tony Godsick. But uh, it seems like there really is a desire to try to bring these things together. But this architecture that's in place now with the Australians having taken their preseason basically and reworked the whole thing, mm. um, going to be hard to put that genie back in the bottle afterward. So it's, it's hard to imagine that they're going to get the ATP Cup just to give up their spot now, mm -hmm. come together with them. But I certainly could see the Davis Cup moving to a different part of the year, maybe changing the number of teams involved. I personally would like to see it be not 18 teams in a final phase, but maximum eight. Okay. That's just my own personal view. Um, but the, uh, there is a chance we're going to see some consolidation down the road. I know that the intent from the ITF and Cosmos is to try to make that happen, but I have my doubts. Once you see the ATP Cup in action as part of the Australian vibe in January, it may be hard to undo. Just That was something Djokovic was saying, that maybe he thinks the change is slightly too radical almost, and he might have gone with two rounds of home and away, and then a kind of elite eight, like you were saying. Can you, can you imagine them doing that in the, in the future, or is it, is it just still too early to say? Well, there are so many opinions on this thing. I will say that I was one of the big proponents for change in the Davis Cup, mm -hmm. you know, grudgingly. I love the event, but I could just sense it was losing steam and that the final was becoming more and more a local thing and that the top players just were not clashing in the Davis Cup enough to give it relevance going forward. Obviously a lot of pushback on that over the years. But my theory was I felt like a Final Four was really the ideal option. 
if you're going to make one change to start, mm-hmm. I would never have gone for the 18-team aspect. They did keep the one round in February as sort of a vestige of Davis Cup past, um, which I think is good. But ultimately, um, Davis Cup still needs to be something that can grow the game around the world. And I remember myself, I mean, I grew up in Southern California and Hawaii, I got to watch Davis Cup matches between the U.S. and France in San Diego, of all places, because mm. France came to play the U.S. and Davis Cup. Never mm. would I have seen those players any other way. And there are many people that would say the same. And so I think if you were able to create two rounds each year, um, let's say three weeks of tennis for the Davis Cup or World Cup, whatever you want to call it, then you have a real substantive chance to really move the tournament to some places it wouldn't otherwise go and give people a, a feel on different things without totally uprooting the calendar. And then you have one final phase, be it eight, be it four. Mm-hmm. So I really like that idea. Yeah, I like that. And on top of that, we're talking about already with these weeks that the ITF had from the previous Davis mm-hmm. Cup, doing something like a winner-take-all singles turn of Majesty Cup, which I just detest that idea. Mm-hmm. That's just counter everything tennis needs right now. So if you're going to use that week for that, by God, use it for a Davis Cup week, mm-hmm. and let's do that, you know? And you were saying about how it's it's been pretty poor, the fact that they've got some some things so dramatically wrong here. Do you get the sense that um, with Tennis Australia backing it, the ATP Cup might be almost a kind of smoothed out version of this, except without all the feel and the passion and the emotion? Do you think from a kind of organization point of view, it might run more smoothly? I don't know. I, I would suspect so, yes, because there's also the Tennis Australia has been very involved in the Labor Cup, mm. um, intimately involved. So they've seen how a that kind of an event operates. They've worked through a lot of bugs with that. Um, they've become big organizers of events through their own Australian summer season. A lot of expertise there. Um, I don't see them getting the website and the app <laughs> and those things wrong. ATP's got expertise there too. So I think they will benefit from seeing where this one went wrong, but they already have a lot of uh, I think strengths in place that would allow them to succeed. So, so yes, and, and it is going to be strange because they, they are going to seem very similar. Mm. This is a federation-based event where the nations really and the structure of the tennis in each country is important. That's going to be really about the players. But will the public make that distinction? Will that nuance seem important to them? I don't know. There'll still be plenty of hugging and celebrating, mm. maybe even a few tears. And then you're going to go bang right into this great event. Whereas this kind of, having not been major, major around the world, mm-hmm. kind of drifts off into the offseason. And then when the ATP Cup happens, it's going to be all brightly colored and exciting in that way mm. uh, just just to reflect a little bit more on this week what you mentioned the serbia russia tie any other any other standout moments for you well i think you know from a u.s perspective we are definitely in a rebuild mode for men's tennis uh, women's tennis in my country is doing tremendously well as you know so much excitement about the future with coco goff and amanda nisimova and and other players and obviously serena's still playing so Women's tennis kind of rules the media landscape in the mm-hmm. U.S. right now. But some of these men coming up are interesting, and, and I think um, Taylor Fritz showed me a lot um, in that late-night match in singles. The reason the late-night match in doubles happened is because Taylor Fritz yeah. you know, came back and, and managed to win against, uh, against Berrettini. So that was, uh, for him, I think a good character check. And I saw a lot of, uh, of good things in him there that could lead to, uh, uh, I think, having some good results in the nearer term next couple of years. So that was fun for me to see that up close to sort of feel the grit. And I've just enjoyed, really, really enjoyed plugging into the doubles mm-hmm. and just watching the way doubles is played. Honestly, because at the Grand Slams, I mean, this doesn't speak well of me, but 
I rarely have time to watch doubles in depth because I'm so busy with the singles and covering the tournament to get a real chance to look really at how it's being played and to really appreciate the nuances of that has been a, has been a pleasure. And just you mentioned the women there. We're always talking about how we think the absolute ideal team event is a combined team event where you know men and women are together. We think tennis is is strongest when it's when it's the men and women together, like the slams. Do you sense that that might be somewhere down the road, or is that even more complicated politics? I thought that was what we were going to be doing here initially. <laughs> if you recall, a couple of years ago, nobody will recall this probably, but. Dave Haggerty, the president of the ITF, basically announced that they were going to do a joint, you know, Davis Cup final and a Final Four Fed Cup together. Mm-hmm. That was going to well, turn out to be a little bit pre- premature and <laughs> yeah. and kind of unilateral. And actually, I think the board of the ITF actually approved that. So that was and that was what I thought was a great idea. I love that. I don't love eighteen mm. women's teams and eighteen men's teams all coming together for two weeks. I think that's too much content, too much stuff. But again, if you could put them together, yeah, absolutely. I think tennis has this huge advantage in sport because they were ahead of the curve mm. on integrating men and women together in a meaningful way. It's part of the DNA of the sport now. Other sports are scrambling to replicate that. I hear golf talking about trying to have joint majors at the same time. Obviously, women's football is just going gangbusters mm-hmm. all over the world now, especially in Europe. you see this huge push to integrate the two. Tennis is already there. Why squander that? Is there is there any danger of the fact that because tennis has been the leader, it's resting on its laurels a little bit in that in that regard and not pushing harder, pushing for even more? Yes, I think that's true. And I think also, you know, the basically I think the men have been resistant to mm-hmm. uh, some of these merger concepts because they feel like they've been driving more of the revenue over time and, and the ATP wants to keep its uh, independence. I understand that. But if you're being visionary about it, and visionary is not always tennis's thing, unfortunately. <laughs> I think you know, combining the WTA and the ATP together, work them together, let's make this make us one product, and have the synergies and and uh, and take the sport forward that way. I think it'd be a great way to go. And I really believe, and I'm not just saying this because it's politically convenient. I think women's sports going to continue to rise, um, and I think to have them together, I think the men will be happy. Yeah. Ultimately, that they're together with them. I think the, this this thing could really flip and. 20 years in a very interesting way. Mm. No, that's, that is really interesting. Just on a, just a final note, have you um, covered Davis Cup finals in recent years or is this, is this the first one for you in a while or you know, has it changed the way you're, you're covering this event, the, the change in format? You know, I covered it almost every year in the 90s and the early 2000s. And then I basically, the last one I covered as a final was the Swiss final okay. against the French when the Swiss won mm-hmm. with Federer and Vavrinka. So it's been a few years now. So I'm coming into it with a lot of background, but not so much the most recent ones live. I, I haven't seen the, you know, the British finals and things like that. So it's, my, but my sense of it is that compared to what I saw before in finals, there's more potential here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was at the Davis Cup final last year in Lille, and you know there was nowhere near as many press as, as I hear now. From a from a media perspective, do you kind of think that this concept is better? It just needs some some improvements. Well, there's two things that work there. Um, 
by bringing so many nations together, obviously you're going to be pulling in mm-hmm. and tying it into the Davis Cup tradition. Whether this should or should not be called Davis Cup is yet to be determined. Uh, I've heard a lot of people arguing against it. I can mm-hmm. see their point. But if you're going to keep that approach and this is national team, you're going to pull in a lot of people. But that's also the first year. So there's a novelty effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, me, if there's no coverage in my country of any sort next year, um, it's equivalent to this year. Having seen what it's already like, it's not a uh, automatic that I'll cover it, okay. for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think so, but you never know. Mm-hmm. And I think they'll be, it'll be interesting to see how many people are return customers in that end of it. But for sure, with the, the wide variety of nations, you're going to bring in more media for that. And that really, to their credit, is one of the big goals of this. Mm-hmm. Take an event. Davis Cup was international, as you know, at the beginning uh, the, of the rounds. All over the world, dots on the map. Kind of got more and more narrow as it went along. If you ever would have had that great Rafa-Roger final, Spain-Switzerland, mm-hmm. or that great Novak-Rafa final, it would have gone big again. It has never happened. So it's always gone down to this very intense, mm-hmm. kind sort of, of bi-national point. sort of thing. And mm-hmm. that's, for the way the world works, for a big event, it's not going to be sustainable. So they're trying to change that. But they got to get the media right and the TV rights right, and they've got to get the format to the point where it's – you're not losing content. Well, between Chris Clary and Mary Carrillo, <laughs> I feel like we have got the most fantastic satellite um, parts to this podcast uh, that we've added over the last few years. Of course, Matt being the best one of the lot. Um, and uh, and again, just, just a really interesting conversation. Catherine, what did you think of all that? Goodness me, yeah. I mean, I, I'm just always fascinated by the way Chris's mind works and the takes that he has on things not just because he's a a great mind but sort of that in conjunction with his rich appreciation of the history of tennis is just a very special and unique thing um I think that um I mean sort of hearing what he had to say in conjunction with what we've just heard from from Haggerty, you know, I don't think it. I don't think it does the tournament, the ITF, the Davis Cup, any favors to to pretend that that things like the cock up with the website and the app is anything other than a big cock up. You know, I liked that. I really, um, I really sort of appreciated how <laughs> no nonsense Chris was about that. You know, it's it's not good enough. Um, but it's also easily put right. You know, it's it, it's a lot easier to sort that stuff out than it is to sort out the heart and soul of the tournament, which thankfully, mercifully was there and was on display from the players. You've you've got that. But sort you know, d- don't bury your head in the sand about about the other things and I and his take on the Labour Cup and upcoming ATP Cup were were very interesting and sort of without using the the phrase he he kind of touched upon the tendency towards recency bias that we all have right you know he's at the moment we're all saying yeah Davis Cup is great and and doesn't it feel silly that we're going to have the ATP Cup in six weeks time but probably when the ATP Cup comes around and knowing what we do about those that are that are running it, you know, a lot of the same entities involved as with Labour Cup, it's going to be a big, shiny, glossy thing. And we're all going to sort of get wrapped up in that and think, oh, that was really good. Um, so and then what are we what are we going to be left? Not sure. Not sure we will. 
I'm not sure I will. To me, it'll be a, it'll end up feeling like an Australian Open warm up. Yeah, but I mean, but as I remember Matt saying at the time of the the Labour Cup that it, it really resonates at the time, but you forget it quickly. Mm. Um, and nobody, when they're announcing Federer onto court, is describing him as a three-time Labour Cup winner. You know, it doesn't it it doesn't resonate, and that doesn't mean yeah. that it's not great in the moment and doesn't have a place. But it, it it doesn't leave a lasting impact, and I suspect that will be the case with with ATP Cup. It'll have a lot of gloss, it'll be a lot of fun, it'll be cool, but it it won't leave an impact. Whereas I do think elements of of what we've seen this week will will endure. Yeah, I, I won't forget that the audio f- that we had from that no. Serbian press conference in a hurry mm-hmm. that was that was beyond what you see on a daily basis on the tour and it's and it's uk geographical and probably european centric point of view that i'm about to make here but i think one of the tests with the atp cup will come just whether we kind of bother staying up for it or waking up early for it you know it's going to be on in the middle of the night so how much of it are we going to see? We're going to really have to make quite an effort, I think, to to watch it. And start of the season, a competition that, you know, in my opinion, doesn't really mean anything at the moment. I don't know. I don't know whether I'll be, how much of that I'll be making sure that I watch. Whereas I feel like even if the Davis Cup were to move somewhere, I would I would make sure I tuned in because it's already got that, that history, that base, that that grounding, to be honest. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see what the players are like with the ATP Cup because what they've managed to do very successfully with the Labour Cup is, is give you the feeling that everybody's caring about it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it feels like a real stretch to me with with Europe against the rest of the world, it's like the players have almost got there and they've just decided, these are my mates, I'm wearing blue or I'm wearing red, and that's the thing. Um, with the Davis Cup, it's it's just very clear. It's it's your country. Mm. Um, and I've, I've felt totally swept up this week with that element of it. It, it is instantly tapped into that. Now, ATP Cup is supposedly the same thing. I can't envisage caring that much who wins. And- and I, but I wonder how, how big a deal that will be with the players. And I think what Chris was saying about how 18 teams perhaps feels like a, f- a few too many at the Davis Cup. Well, there's 24 at the ATP Cup. And there are there are a lot of players at the ATP Cup. You know, we've seen the entry lists who, you know, we, have four-digit we, rankings, we gonna, to, be, you know, to be quite honest. We were going to play bingo with the, <laughs> with the entry list. Weren't yeah. we? Except it wouldn't have lasted very long because an awful lot of names on there that nobody knew. And there's this bizarre situation where it's, it's teams of five, but it's only the top two singles players. There's essentially no value in the, and this is a point that Riley Apelka was making this week and others have as well, but Riley Apelka really spoke well about it, I thought. Um, there's just absolutely no value in the number three from a country mm. playing playing the ATP Cup because they, they won't play any matches basically in, unless someone gets injured um, and I do wonder how many how many matches are we going to be watching or not watching as the case may be from the ATP Cup that's 
Martin Cuevas against Buster Dimitrov. <laughs> One of those two people is real, folks. Buster. Genuinely. I, I love how Buster came to you. <laughs> bit like one of those where you sort of try to imagine what name you would give yourself if you could have, give yourself your own nickname <laughs> and the point i'm tiredly making is that there's an awful lot of people's brothers <laughs> that have snuck into the atp cup draw um that you never knew played tennis or existed, or existed. but here they yeah, are correct uh, yeah yeah okay. no moritz team though well but, but uh, maybe there's some sort of technicality that he can just slide slide in on. I don't know. Um, um, but yeah, look, we we are not going to see scenes like we've seen at the Davis Cup this week in terms of the the big beating heart hmm. because you can't create that out of nowhere. No, you can't. But it'll be. It will. Be, I am interested to see. You know, we'll. Tr- I'll try and keep an open mind. But in answer to your question, Matt, I suspect I'll be sort of fitting it in when I can. I mm. don't I won't be going searching. I won't be I won't be staying up at four in the morning and having my breakfast before I go to bed. Well put it that way. We're not doing daily podcasts, are we? Are we? Uh, no we're not. <laughs> no, we're not. However, we had just booked uh, Catherine <laughs> and Matt's flights to Australia um, shortly before uh, the Australian Open starts, where we will be bringing you daily editions throughout the Australian Open, the French Open, Wimbledon, US Open. I say this, provided we manage to kickstart ourselves uh, on the 2nd of December when we launch our crowdfunding. But, you know, we always have in the past. You have always supported us in you know so generously um and uh, and we hope we have grown our audience uh, enough so that more people feel that they can pitch in and uh, and help to support the tennis podcast and keep it going and growing that's the goal um matt you've been a legend over the last week <laughs> we yeah. are we cannot believe how well you've done and the the hours you've put in the the content you've been able to get for us the the interviews you got even just today i mean i can't tell you how how tricky it is to try to play the role of producer and interviewer at the same time whilst you've you've basically had about four hours sleep nightly all week long um and then still did the podcast with us i mean brilliant job and uh, i hope does, you've does he remind it. you of anyone david well you know they do start say that dogs start to look like their owners don't they so matt's starting to turn into me i think well i i was i was highly stressed today say that? i must say um, Were you? Yeah, I had I had technical problems. I actually that interview that I did with Chris, we did in a completely pitch black room. You know, <laughs> honest. I hope that doesn't come across, but I could barely see his face. He could barely see mine. I had my torch on on my phone to to, to, to kind of to kind of look at the you, to look at my recording device. It looked it looked a bit like that when we sort of. What? When we emerged from this dark room and there was people standing outside, they must have been wondering what we were doing in there for half an hour. <laughs> Why didn't you turn the light on? The light didn't work. And it, oh. was, and it was the only quiet space we could find. What did he say when you ushered him into the dark room? Chris, Chris led us there. Hit record. Chris, was, Chris right. was handling the whole where do we record situation much better than I was. He said, oh, I know this really good place. 
Follow yeah, me. Exactly. Um, <laughs> what, I, what I love is that Matt has finally arrived now in the tennis podcast because you, you haven't arrived until you come out of a great interview and go, it hasn't recorded <laughs> or the sound's rubbish. What am I going to do? And uh, that, What's this weird hiss? That, yeah, that's happened a lot. Which is the story of our French Open. Yes, yeah. some serious flashbacks. What is that weird hiss? I don't know, but anyway, thanks to... Is David going to notice that weird hiss? <laughs> thanks to the genius that is our, our uh, producer, Patrick, uh, we've managed to sort it all out. And, uh, and so there you have the, uh, the lovely interview that Matt did with Chris Clary. So well done, Matt. Hope you've, uh, hope you've enjoyed it. Have you enjoyed it? Very much, yeah. It's, it's been one of the more intense weeks of tennis I think I've ever experienced. Um, and I've, I've been constantly weighing up what are just the glitches and what are the kind of real problems with the, with the tournament. But I, I think I definitely fall on your side and I think Chris's side as well, that overall it's, it's been a positive and they can, they can correct a lot of the things, but they need to. We will... We will be judging them far more strongly, I think, next year. Um, but as a as a kind of one off week week of tennis experience, it's it really has been really special to be here. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, look, I've said it a couple of times. I'll say it one more time. Yes, we did take sponsorship from the Davis Cup in the run up to this event. Um, I know some people don't think we should, or or, do, or think it might have compromised our views. I think by doing an interview the way we have there and and giving our views as honestly held as we possibly could all week, because frankly we have been unfiltered. I think you can probably tell that we uh, that, that has not influenced things uh, in our regard at all. Uh, tomorrow. We're going to go to see Andy Murray resurfacing the uh, the documentary about his uh, his comeback. All three of us. That's going to be good, isn't it? We just need to get Matt home in time. We're going to a premiere. Yeah. It's, it's out on Friday. If you want to watch it um, worldwide, you better watch it. And we're going to go and have a watch tomorrow. Sneak preview. It's, it's the first thing I've ever had a sneak preview of. Mm. Matt is flying home from his assignment in Madrid and going straight to a premiere. What? What are you, Matt? <laughs> what is this life? I am we've not worthy. We've plunged you into a life a bit different to eating economy fish fingers at university. <laughs> and that, that was given my that life. we're not given, <laughs> given that we're not recording a podcast for a, a week. Yes. Is a it week? a week? We're going to record one after Tennis Podcast Live, aren't we, on the second? Should we end on updating people on Stefanos Sitsipas's social media activity? Go, on, then. Go for it. He's been in Iceland, folks. <laughs> he's had a he's had a transcendent holiday experience in Iceland, which is quite different to the experience I had in Iceland, but. Um, Maybe he saw the whole shebang and not just the uh, the pale green haze. <laughs> he has concluded his experience by posting a picture of himself. Can you? I mean, where is he in this picture? I thought he was sitting in, in sitting in an air conditioning tunnel. Yeah, it's a tunnel, right? It looks like he's in a kind of Mission Impossible film or something, but dressed it, really weird. It looks weirdly. like he's been in hired to complete. The final phase of Crossrail. <laughs> He's wearing sort of high vis, um, yeah, in a in a tunnel, looking intense and moody, meaningful. And he he has the following to say: 
Brace yourself, folks, this is profound. My trip to this unrealistic piece of land, the so-called Iceland, has come to an end, but... I, this is not me reading it badly. I'm trying to read it as he has punctuated it. But I see it more as a beginning, a starting point. I witness things with my eyes, surrounded by beauty and pleasantness. A journey which educated me and made me love even more. I feel fortunate to be living life with such entity. It was more than photographs of beautiful landscapes, breathtaking sceneries and gracious people that made me feel things as a person. <laughs> this, this was more of a fragrance enhanced, enhanced with adoration <laughs> a sense of achievement this Icelandic odyssey that's in quotation marks was something extraordinary a cold body, a cold body carries a warm heart that's something that I learnt from this trip by the way I feel like a viking now <laughs> Oh. Do you know what I really want to do? I, I really want to mash up that that you've just read with your description of Iceland at Wimbledon and <laughs> just 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 play them side by side and you know put it on some completely you know some neutral tourist board site saying your experience will be one of these two things. <laughs> Your life will be changed either way, <laughs> for the better or the worse. Same place, different views. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, can we just be clear? Yeah, we, we, we like, think he's, we he think is he's like a, magnificent. He's like a real-life Instagram filter, isn't he? It's like I had the real-life experience of Iceland, and then you pass it through an Instagram filter... And you get Stefano Sitsipas's life-altering, earth-shattering experience. Or did he have the real one? And you were the filter. I don't know. There were a lot of people on that coach with me that also <laughs> saw only a pale green haze and um, had to enjoy the journey back with the broken door in minus 20 degrees at 2 o'clock in the morning after having just been told that you've seen the Northern Lights whilst feeling really quite significantly shortchanged and um, drinking a really sad miniature bottle of wine <laughs> that you bought from a sort of, like, Aldi. <laughs> Didn't you say that Stefan of Sitsipas could have a life-enhancing experience in Aldi? <laughs> I did, yeah. I really feel like he could go to Asda and have a transcendental experience. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> Him and me both. He could walk the dog and change his life. Yeah. Go on, Steph. Optimism. Guys, I've experienced a new life of entity. I'm not even <laughs> sure what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I've found a way to live life with an enhanced fragrance. Second language. <laughs> but he, he knows all the words I mean he's got a better vocabulary than me oh, it's just the way they the sequence in which it comes out is so special it's different it's just great oh, long may you continue he's the, he's the, he's the 
He's the person at a party that thinks every song is about him. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, this is totally about me. Uh, <laughs> we love you, Steph. Right. Um, <laughs> don't ever change. Don't ever change. Can you imagine if he changed and became corporate? It would be the saddest thing in the whole world. Or even became, Please don't ever don't change. even become self-aware. Just just keep doing this. It's just great. <laughs> just enjoy yeah. your life and There's be about you. sort of fifteen steps before corporate. <laughs> yes, I think we've got a bit of wriggle room. Um, <laughs> so, right then, we've been the tennis podcast. Brought to you in association with The Telegraph, executive produced by TennisBalls.com. Our mascot is Rio with a Y. For just a couple of weeks longer, we've loved having Rio with a Y. But it's uh, new mascots. It's new uh, new year coming your way very soon. And hopefully loads and loads of new tennis podcasts. So I hope you've enjoyed them. That, that's it for daily editions of the tennis podcast unless i think of something that's a really good idea uh between now and uh december the 31st but yeah we've been daily at the australian open the french open wimbledon us open queens atp finals wta finals fed cup final davis cup finals bloody (laughs) no there have been certain and david has started having to eat breakfast before he goes yeah, to bed. There have been certain moments where they've refused to speak to me uh, <laughs> because of because of all this. Uh, but they love it, really. Um, and so, yeah, we want to do the same next year if we can. Um, thanks for listening to us. And, and for all the lovely messages of support, we've had some really, really nice um, messages and emails. And, uh, and, and we read them all. And they're really nice. And uh, thank you. And we'll speak to you soon. 